Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Radhika Sharma, a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and certified life and wellness coach. Dr. Sharma is passionate about women's health and wellness. She is a mother of two young girls and wife to a fellow OBGYN. As a busy mother, wife, and physician, Dr. Sharma found herself caught in the quicksand and did not see any way out of it. Fortunately, she found life coaching, which allowed her to recognize her authentic and essential self. Today, Dr. Sharma continues her work as an OBGYN while also collaborating with her life coaching clients to help them challenge the obstacles in their lives and follow their essential self to make it through some of life's most challenging times. Dr. Sharma completed her medical training at Seba University School of Medicine. After completing her medical rotations in the United States, she went on to complete her obstetrics and gynecology residency at Altman Hospital in affiliation with Northeast Ohio Medical University. She specializes in pelvic floor disorders and reconstruction. Dr. Sharma is also a certified life and wellness coach through the Martha Beck Wayfinder training. We are so excited to sit down with Dr. Sharma today and dive into all things motherhood. Dr. Sharma, we are thrilled to have you with us. And you and I actually just met not too long ago. And I was like, please come on our podcast. I would love to have you. So happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you guys. It's just a pleasure. I love what you're doing. I love the community that you have been building and working with and all the outreach you do for moms. So I really appreciate what you you all stand for. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. We're going to start off with some get to know you questions and Great. feel free to elaborate as much as you want on them. We had started off making these quick, but we quickly found out that they didn't work being quick. So, um, th- so our first question to you is fill in the blank. Motherhood is. I think motherhood is amazingly beautiful chaos. And what I mean by that is it can, and and I know that a lot of women can resonate with this. It can be just the most amazing highs and the best moments. And sometimes I find myself sitting with my kids thinking like, are these mine? Like, is this reality? And then there's the time where I'm coming home from work and I like sweat dripping off my brow and I'm going in a million different directions. And I'm like, take a deep breath, keep your voice at a nice level. Don't lose your crap. Like, you know, and so I think that's where the chaos comes in. I I think it's amazingly beautiful chaos because when you accept that that's what it is for for what it is and not try to change it, it's like, okay, that's to me, that's what it is. That's so accurate. I I find myself sometimes just needing to sit and find the gratitude to feel that gratitude because I can get caught in the trenches of the chaos and just get totally have it just swarm over me. So I I loved that. I loved the way that you described that was perfect. 
when I became a mom, I also be, became like, I valued myself more than I ever have, because I think I went like, and we can talk about this more through the show, but I went through definitely like some pretty severe postpartum anxiety, but then I really like discovered myself from that standpoint. So. Oh my gosh. We are looking forward to diving into that a little bit more deeply because you are a doctor and just to let our listeners know that doctors experience it too. So no one is exempt from possibly having perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So thanks for sharing that. And we look forward to connecting with you more about that throughout the, the episode. What do you value most in a friendship? So, yeah, I think um, historically, like when I was growing up, I was like, oh, yeah, the more friends. I need to have all my friends at the party. And now I think I would say loyalty and I would say respect, especially since I've become a mom. I think respect is really important. And then ease. I think those are the three things. Loyalty, respect and ease. And I think respect really came from respecting that we all have different struggles in our life and that you may text someone or call someone and it's just like not the right time and respecting that they may not want to share things with you respecting that they may not be at a point in their day that they want to talk to you and it's not because they don't love you or that friendship has fizzled it's because they may be going through something where they just they need a minute mama needs a minute and that's okay and then ease kind of kind of follows in with that because especially when you become a mom and especially if you're trying to balance a career or any of your creative aspects or even if you're a stay-at-home mom it doesn't matter like it needs to be easy and it needs to be understood do I think friendships take work I do but when I say that they need there needs to be ease it's just not a lot of drama, not comparison, more of like the community for support and belonging. Like that to me is friendship more than anything. Oh, that was so well said. And I think Chrissy and I could not agree with you more. Chrissy's shaking her head. It's a very important part of building friendships with other moms is yes. Having that ease, definitely the respect. That's actually one of our values for her health collective is to value and respect other moms backgrounds and what they're they're going through. So thank you for that. That, that was amazing. What's the most daring thing you've ever done? So, I mean, I sometimes think like, I, you know, I like to say like, Oh, my life's not been that like adventurous or exciting. And then I'll talk to my mom and she's like, you could write a book, like several books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess I could, but you know, I mean, I just, I think when you're in the moment, you're, you think back at it. I think the most daring thing I've done and I look back at it now because I was like, I don't know how I would let my kids do this. But I was in my early 20s and I was wanting to do a medical mission. And I was like, I don't care. I want to go somewhere where there's like barely running water. And my parents are like, yeah, no, like you're 20, like you're, I think it was 22. And they're like, yeah, no. So I picked a, a remote area in Ayacucho, Peru, which is like 10 hours outside of Lima. So I boarded this flight and I still remember my mom is not a crier. And I still remember like going through security and she's like falling. And I'm like, does she think like I'm not coming back? <laughs> does she know something that I don't know? And so I think what was so daring about that is I still remember to this day, like if, I feel like it's so clear and it's so vivid. You know, I had a friend who had, who had been from Lima, Peru, and he was like, look, you have to be really careful because there's like a high amount of human trafficking going on in Lima right now. And I'm like, wow. oh, okay. So I went down there 
I got to the airport and I spoke very little Spanish and the Spanish in Peru is different than the Spanish, you know, in different parts of the world, you know, in terms of like culturally and whatnot. So I get into this car and I've practiced how to say like, I'm so like, so the taxi driver doesn't try to human traffic me. I'm supposed to be calling. And I said to my mom, I'm going to call you from my phone. And I'm going to say, I was one of those old cell phones too. I'm going to say things in Spanish and you will have no idea what I'm saying, but you're just supposed to be like, okay. So the driver knows that like, there's somebody who knows your taxi number and knows where you're going. So yeah, I would say that. And then, you know, I took a 10 hour trip into the mountains, which was kind of crazy. And then um, was there for eight weeks on a mission and uh, worked in orphanages and uh, worked on a vaccination program. And I'd say that looking back, I was like, yeah, it's probably the most daring thing I've done. Yeah. So- yeah, you, you tried, you, you totally went into the unknown. I mean, different culture, different language. You, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's intense. Really, I still really think now, like I, I, you know, you watch, there's so much on Netflix and, and all that, like, person went here and they just like so I think back and I'm like I can't imagine that that was probably going through my mom's head like where am I sending my child I don't know anything about this and so the reason I think that I think that's so daring now is because I have I have two girls and I was like (laughs) I don't know how I would let them do that right yes I feel the same way with some of the things that I've done and in where I've gone traveling and I mean, I know I've got to let loose the apron strings, but I know, but right. Don't you look back and think like, so that was pretty crazy. That was gnarly. Yeah. Like, so Chrissy, didn't you travel fun. to Peru? Didn't you go to Peru with your partner? I did. Yes. It was an amazing trip. It was much. We did the touristy things. We did Machu Picchu. We did the touristy and... stuff at the end. At the yeah. end. <laughs> and it was lovely. It was amazing, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place. That actually played a huge role in helping me decide on women's wellness too, which we can obviously talk about, but it's just a beautiful, the culture is beautiful. It's, it was very different. I didn't have a lot of expectations, especially because I was younger when I went, but it's just a really cool culture and the art and the way they express like religion and, you know, um, their values. It it was, it's just a really cool place. I'll have to make sure that I get there. Yeah. Put that on. You want to go. Bye guys. (laughs) all right moving to the next get to know you question what advice would you give your younger self it's a great it's another really good question to dream big to keep working towards those dreams even when you don't think that you can attain them and that there's a reason that there's that inner voice in your head and your heart it's there and use it as a guide because it won't steer you wrong. Mm, that's great. And obviously your mother's inner voice was like, don't let her go when you were getting on the plane to Peru. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's funny because I look, I look back at so much of this and I think like my brother and my sister really like, I mean, they say that I was the easy one, which I don't know, but I think relatively speaking, like they stayed very safe. They're like, oh, we're just going to go party in the city. We're just like, we're just, you know, I'm just going to take a road trip. And and I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to leave the country. Peace out. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think in some ways they, it's just interesting to me. I, I always felt like there was that like need for more. And I think even 
now that whole need for more I get that like that question from so many people like how could you want more you're like an OBGYN you've been in school for like 70 billion years like you know and um I feel like that is just the reason I bring that up is because it's like my essential voice inside that's always said that and I truly believe when I've listened to it at its whole and really like not tried to divert from it that's when I've been most successful and had the most joy. Mm, that's, I, I love hearing that. I'm working on that. I'm trying to become more familiar with that voice, just trying yeah. to make sure that I'm deciphering what it's saying a little bit more clearly. It gets clouded all the time, like, you know, because of all of the external things that are happening in our lives, it's really hard to tap into it. Absolutely. It really does because that voice inside you wants you to have peace and joy and happiness. And then there's the fear, the hesitation, all of those other negative emotions, anxiety that just press down and kind of take all of that away. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Well, this actually leads us into our next question for you. And we touched on it, but I'd like to go a little bit deeper with it, if we could, about the piece that we had talked about earlier with respect that we have and understanding that everyone brings different experiences into parenthood. We really enjoy talking to our guests and hearing them talk a little bit more about their background because we do feel that it's such an important part of our conversation. Will you please share a bit about your childhood and how you were raised? And if there are any specific events in your youth that directly impacted the direction of your life, we would love to hear that as well. Yeah, I know a lot of people, like when they, they see my name, they're like, okay, she's, she, you know, she's something, she, you know, some background. So I was raised in a pretty strict East Indian household. I am born and raised Canadian, so I grew up just outside of Toronto. I was born Canadian, but still very much an Indian household. So very strong value systems around family, very strong expectations for success. And success was often measured in, you know, scholarly successes. And so my parents were always very supportive of anything scholarly related. So, you know, I wanted to do even, you know, school sports or things like that. Like anything, you know, I wanted to be in the play. My dad was a little hesitant. He was like, you know, is this going to affect your, your schooling? But if it's not yeah, no, go for it. So everything was, was very school related, which actually I, I, you know, I used to think that it was kind of frustrating to be pushed that way always. But I did realize that some of that really fed me well because it allowed me to like really unearth my internal drive. Like I was always a reader. I think that I was always kind of a dreamer from the beginning. So I think keeping a little bit of that direction of, okay, you know, like, you know, stick with school. I think that was, that really did serve me and serve me in my work towards becoming an OBGYN. The one thing that was hard is I think that it may have suppressed a little bit of like my creative side. And I think that's where I tried to suppress it as well. Meaning, so I mentioned in talking to my younger self about listening to my essential self. I know that there was parts of me that always wanted to do things that were a little more creative. I remember being that kid who had like a sketchbook and I would like sketch out models and like clothes and I would write stories and I would like, I have so much written material. 
and I can only imagine had I had like a, a video camera, the amount of the content I would have. <laughs> but I just remember really not necessarily being, I wouldn't say supported, but it was very much like, hey, don't let these things affect your, your scholarly pursuits. And so I think that that was, was big for me. And so moving out of like grade school and into high school, I lost time for that. And I kind of shifted my time towards more taking care of people. And so as long as I can remember, I was always taking care of people. So I was, um, became like, it became like a camp co-counselor at 13 for like a kid's camp. And I did that for like three summers in a row, which I absolutely loved. I was in Girl Girl Scouts and I went up to Pathfinders and then I helped down below, you know, with the sparks and whatnot. But that's it. That's what they were called back then. I don't know what they're called now. But um, and then I started doing a lot of volunteering in the hospital. And so I would say the formative things that happened were stepping out of my comfort zone and pushing the envelope a little bit, even when it wasn't necessarily agreed upon by my parents or, and it was more so my dad, he was just very, he had very strict Indian values. This is the way these things should be. Things are black and white. There's very little gray. And I very much pushed that gray. But I would say when I started to push to say like, no, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to do a volunteer mission. I'm going to set up a program, like an orphanage in our area. You know, I'm going to set up I just, that's where things started changing for me when I really started to push the envelope a little and be like, look, I want to be successful, but I need to navigate this journey and I need to lean into the discomfort. And I think when I started realizing that being uncomfortable was the best, like where I thrived the most is, is when I really started growing and started really coming into who I was as a person. And so I think that's another thing. And you had asked the question before I, I wanted to add was like, I would tell my, my prior self, myself from 10 years ago to lean into discomfort because every time I came into a big roadblock or a challenge that I was like, oh my goodness, like this is going to stop me from succeeding. And I just leaned into it. I somehow grew so much more and overcame it. And then you look back and be like, oh, well, that seemed really bad at the time, but it wasn't so bad. And so really like when you're scared and it's funny, you were talking about how all those negative emotions that we have, I truly believe that's part of, and I've learned this through even my coaching, like that's part of our fight and flight response that is ingrained into who we are. Like we are ingrained to be anxious and scared for protection, right? So we can keep a, a roof over our head so we can feed our families, you know, keep a stable job because that's what you're going to do in order to create stability and security and safety in your life. So I, I, I truly believe the parts of my life that I grew the most was when I allowed myself to be uncomfortable and lean into the discomfort. Do you feel now that you're looking back and you're seeing your growth and what, what you've gone through throughout your life and your childhood, are you raising your children different? Because you have two kiddos, right? Yeah. I have two little girls. Yeah, I, I do. I think, so here's, here's the thing. I don't want to say yeah. There's a yes and a no component. So the no is I'm still, I'm still raising them with very strong values. You know, I do believe that the time that I invest in them will help 
kind of water their seeds and, and grow that self-esteem and that confidence. And I think I do, believe, you know, as a mom, I, my husband will be like, she's crazy about order. Like not even necessarily like order about things. Cause if I showed my room, you'd be like, mm, you're really that orderly. But <laughs> I, I like them to have a schedule. I like that, you know, I, they go to sleep at a certain time. They eat at a certain time. I don't like to deviate from that so much. So I think there, there's some of that from my mom, from my family when I was growing up. I do think that education is extremely important, but I think differently. Like, I think now the education of, you know, and I'm, I want to make sure I say this appropriately, but like learning how to be an, a social individual in our society. So contribute, being respectful, learning that people are different, understanding that there are struggles, but they don't have to define us, knowing that we can break through the molds. I, I remember, and it's funny because my husband and I talk about this a lot too, like when we used to cry or like be upset, it was like, no, no, you're fine. It's fine. And I find myself being very different. I, if I do do that, I'm, it's fine. Just get over it. I sit down and I realize I'm like Akira, which is my, my older daughter's name. I'll say, Akira, so what's going on? Tell me about these big emotions you're feeling. Like, let's take a minute. I can't imagine my father ever telling me like affirmations. Right. But, but <laughs> yes. we, we work on affirmations. We work on body positivity, which that wasn't a thing when, when it was, you know, when I was growing up, we work on being okay with differences and being okay with, I hate to use this word rejection from like now she's three and a half and, you know, some neighbors had a birthday party and we weren't invited and my husband's immediate response was like, we can just make something up. And I was like, no, we're going to tell her the truth. We're going to tell her that we weren't invited and that's okay. And it's okay to feel upset, but that doesn't have to define who you are. And that doesn't mean you've been rejected as a person, but we're not going to be invited to everything. So even little things like that, I just remember it would, they were handled, handled differently when I was growing up than versus now that I, that I see myself handling with my kids. How powerful to have those lessons ingrained in you and, you know, just a part of your raising at, at such a young age. I love to think how strong that this generation of children will be, be because of parents that are choosing to parent in that way. So kudos. Thank you. And it's hard, right? It is. Like, <laughs> I mean, there is this, and I mean, no, this is no put down to my husband at all. But like, he's very like, well, what was wrong with like that? Right. And I'm like, no, no, there was nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that our parents didn't do the best they possibly could. I am saying, is there a way that we can empower them a little bit more? Because I remember being like, follow the rules, be a good girl. And I'm just like, but what the heck defined a good girl? So like, and why does that have to be define like what does that mean define just be a good person and what does that good person mean what does it mean to respect others what does it mean to be loyal what does it mean to be a friend that, I mean that wasn't talked about when I was growing up it's like I don't know be a good girl do what mommy and daddy say to do and I'm like well you know how about like let's create what's coming from you so you can listen to you and actually develop that relationship with yourself nobody cared about that when I was growing up they were like no just develop relationships around you but you know really fostering that relationship with yourself and it's incredible to me how much she 
picked up after like we stopped sucking our thumb which was huge i she did cold turkey because the dentist told her it burned which i thought was nuts like i don't know how she did that cold turkey but she did so she was struggling with like how do i deal with my emotions now because when she was having emotions she would just pop her thumb in her mouth and so that's where affirmations came on and i could not believe from day one the affirmations she's do like she's doing them all the time she'll be having a meltdown and i'll be like okay we're gonna have a meltdown we're here we're not getting what we want and she'll be like i'm okay i'm safe i'm calm i'm loved and i'm like wow this works that is amazing that is such like, a beautiful story that's amazing that is absolutely just, phenomenal and it's hard and my husband it is like, it's woo woo and it's, it's, <laughs> it's woo woo, but look at her. <laughs> parenting's on a spectrum. If you think about it, parenting's on the spectrum where at one side you've got your authoritarian parenting, and the other side you have permissive, and in the middle you've got your authoritative. And I think from our generation, it was just more accepted to be authoritarian. You do as I say, you know, I and best for you. Yes, I know it's best for you. And then, so what's happened is a lot of parents, me included, are like, well, I'm going to try to change the way that I'm parenting because I know that they did the best they could, of course, and they love me intensely, but I don't think that's going to fit with what we want to do for our kids. And so you tend to slip and I have gone a little bit too much onto the other side. So it's just definitely working to try to find that middle ground and know that you're going to make mistakes constantly. And it's, and it's this ever-changing flow back and forth. And I think that being okay, you know, I think that I had the belief that your partner and you had to be, and I don't know if this is what I was fed. I would love to hear what you guys think about this. Like that I was fed that your partner, and you have to be on the same page, like a hundred percent of the time. I'm like, okay, we were raised in completely different households. His experience at five or six and my experience at five or six were completely different. Like, it's not like we sat down on date number 46 and was like, okay, so let's talk about how you're going to parent and make sure that we align with one another. Cause if not, I don't think this is going to work. Like, you know, and you grow so much as a human being when you become a parent mm -hmm. and you try to think our collective experiences are going to be how we parent. It's us actually making the conscious effort to be like, what worked for me and what wasn't so good and then coming to the table and as you said finding finding that balance and i think what sometimes happens nowadays in any relationship it's like yeah you have to unfortunately you really need to try to respect the other person's side too and and try to find a, a middle ground which is i think is like one of the largest challenges of parenting absolutely no, I think it's, I, I do think it's important to show a united front to your oh, yeah. children in, in a lot of regards, but I, I do think having that open line of communication and that conversation with your partner is so important, you know, and in our household, I'm the one that, and I, Cindy and I talk about this all the time. I'm the one that reads all the parenting books. So <laughs> I, I will come at him with uh, like, I'll highlight pages or write notes, or like, I'll just come and share these theories with him. And he's always open to them. He's always open to reading the pages I've marked or, you know, having a conversation with me about them. And, you know, he's often like, oh, that makes sense. But what I find sometimes it drives me crazy. And sometimes it blows my mind is I find that Noah does a lot of these things intuitively. 
he he's a very like whereas I am very much like I need to understand the theory of why this works and and you know I'm more hot-headed and I'm more of the emotional person and he's just so calm and patient that so much of this does come naturally to him this like new kind of gentle parenting philosophy and it always blows my mind but I try to learn from him as much as I try to also teach him when I'm reading about why these things work and, and sharing that with him. We're the same way. I'm like, I'm yeah. definitely the hothead. <laughs> again, and I think it's because it's what I, like sometimes I do things I'm like, crap, that's what my parents did and I didn't like that. So I, you know, but you know, give yourself that forgiveness. And I love how you said you learned from him because whether you believe this or not, I know, like I've seen my husband, he implements things that, I do. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like we are doing this together. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah we're collaborating without you, you know, parenting is a team sport. <laughs> like yeah. there, there are some times you gotta be like, I'm tapping out. I, I need my, you know, a referee to come over <laughs> for sure. For sure. This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective. Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible daily chats hosted there, to our many virtual gatherings, including support groups, mom's night out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more. We love providing moms the chance to connect and create authentic relationships with one another. The network of experts in her circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one -on -one Wellness Minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To learn more about Her Circle, head to www.herhealthcollective.com slash her dash circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist so you are the first to know when the doors officially reopen. Okay, so the choice to become a doctor. Yeah we know is a long and challenging path, or at least that's what the books and the movies lead me to believe. They're not wrong. <laughs> They're not wrong, okay. <laughs> Was there a defining moment that solidified your decision to become a doctor specializing in gynecology and obstetrics? Yes, for sure. So I, the, I'm gonna tell you why I became, there's a short backstory of why I became a doctor, decided I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I loved animals. I absolutely loved animals. And I had a bunny and my bunny had renal failure or their, his kidneys were failing. And I was like, mom, we have to do something like, and, and this was like, they didn't, I don't think they did dialysis for bunnies at this time. Okay. <laughs> She's like, maybe he's just really in a lot of pain. And he's, you know, and I was like, but we have to do something. Yep. Long story short is the poor 
poor rabbit died in my hands like literally. oh no and I was devastated and I was like I cannot take care of animals like I cannot do this I'm gonna take care of humans and she's like so uh humans hurt too and and like bad things happen to them and I'm like yeah I think I'm fine with that <laughs> so, so that was the form like in the process. movies it's like in the movies when the horses fall over and the people fly, you, you know, there's the battle scenes and you're like, oh my gosh, the horse. Yeah, the horse. But the person like is, you know, bludgeoned in their head and bleeding, but that's fine. Somebody will take care of that person. It's okay. So anyways, that's how I decided to be a doctor. Funny enough, I actually, I started as a, a certified nurse assist in the hospital after I was volunteering. And I was on a labor and delivery floor. And I remember thinking, and I, by that time I knew I wanted to do medicine and I had been working towards it. This was just a job to help like, you know, pay through school and all that stuff. So, um, and I was on a labor and delivery floor and I was like, I don't think I, I could ever do OBGYN. And I'd, I, part of my role was like stocking the rooms, being an extra pair of hands if need be, but nothing like medical at that point, right? But there was a time and it was a night shift. I still remember it. I, you know, middle of the night, woman came in, she was 39 weeks. So she was about to, you know, um, could, they couldn't feel baby move, hadn't felt baby move in 24 or 48 hours, uh, which is very unusual at that point. And she delivered a stillbirth. And that moment, I will never forget. I was not in the delivery room. I just helped afterward. But the way that the OBGYN carried themselves and the way the support network with the nurses and the team that really made me look at OB obstetrics and gynecology differently. And I just saw how vulnerable a woman could be and, and was in that situation and the support that was necessary and the help that they needed from more than just a medical perspective, you know, um, the mental support. And, and that was a big moment for me. But even then I was like, I don't know if I want to do OBGYN. And then moving forward, just through my rotations, I realized how much women's wellness encompassed everything about us, like from infancy forward. And to me, I was like, how beautiful would it be to take care of young women and help them learn about their bodies and learn about, you know, things like safe sex and contraception and loving themselves and their bodies because as an OBGYN you are full scope women's wellness and it's funny I was at a I was at an interview recently and they were like so like what makes you think that you're different as a whole like as a whole and I was like I believe that the body is it's about all about integration like the mind is connected to your heart which is connected to the way your body works as a whole like I know it sounds like a simplistic view but all of that I realized so I can help the young teenagers, I can be with the women at some of the most vulnerable parts of their life, whether they're giving birth or unfortunately they're going through a miscarriage or a loss. And then, you know, a lot of what's not talked about with OB and GYN is the gynecologic issues when you're having issues later in your life, when, you know, God forbid you're going through cancer, your OBGYN is there with you, you know? And so I just decided I, didn't, I couldn't think of a more rewarding career path for me than taking care of women throughout the entire spectrum. So I think there wasn't just one moment, there were, there were many moments. And as I'd mentioned in, in Peru, when I did one of the outreaches for the vaccination programs, I had a woman who had six children 
and they were that was part of their cultural where, where the man leaves the village for many times and she came to her vaccination clinic and her fifth child had severe developmental delay and the sixth child was a little girl she's just perfect and beautiful and she all she wanted as a mother was for someone to adopt her child because she wanted to give this child another life like a different life and I just remember thinking like as a woman we go through so much and I wanted to be someone who could support women and take care of them and and love them and be there for them and help them through their their you know their medical issues as well so that's what did it for me what was the road to becoming a physician like for you? Tough, tough for sure, for sure. I think I was so in tune to like, again, I think I, you know, I said earlier, like scholarly. So I knew I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. But what was tough for me, but I think also helped me succeed is like, you had to turn everything else off in your life at that point to, for me to succeed. That's, that's what it was. And so the two most important things to me uh, were education and family and everything else had to come second. I missed countless birthdays, countless, you know, weddings. Were you married at the point that you were studying? No. And I think that that's a really good point because I didn't even, I'm going to say like when I started the residency, I had no intention of getting married or having children for that matter. I was like, so focused on my career. And I know it sounds like kind of like a little bit of a fairy tale, but when I met my husband, he had, you know, gone through a, a relationship and I had ended a relationship and we were friends for two and a half years before we did, we got married. And then I, I thought, especially going through an OBGYN residency, I was um, in my early thirties when we graduated and we had just, we got married at the end of residency. And I, the first thing I was like, oh my gosh, I need to have kids because I'm getting into my, and, and so it just, it just changed a, a lot in that perspective, but yeah, no, I, I mean, it's weird. Like my relationship wasn't number one. I wasn't number one, like my, me getting to the end of this sure. was, was the number one priority, which I don't know. I mean, I think it's served me well to be successful. Do I think it's the best path? No, I don't. Yeah. You previously had mentioned postpartum anxiety, uh, which yes. is something near and dear to my heart. I'm very interested to know because you would have then had postpartum anxiety when you were already a doctor, already serving patients. And physician. Yep. How, how did that impact you and your role as a doctor? I think that people... I think for the most part, women will agree that when you become a mom, like, like there's just this part of your brain that changes, right? Your perspective shifts, you know, you knew the educational ideas behind postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, you knew what they looked like, but to experience it yourself, it was a big eye opener. And to have my husband, my husband's an OBGYN too, actually, I don't know if I mentioned that. Okay. So for him to see me go through that, it gave a new perspective and it kind of reconnected me with realizing how much of a holistic practitioner I was, that I wasn't just delivering the baby. And then like, it was more, and I had done this previously too. Like I, I'm a huge advocate of like, if someone has anxiety or depression, I was seeing them a lot sooner after their visits, which is not actually what the recommendation was previously till a few years ago. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, just be a woman at six weeks and or 12 weeks and she's fine. But no, I, I, I think after having my baby and having my own postpartum anxiety, just really 
becoming a proponent and an advocate, even outside of your medical care to be like, just support women, create a platform where women understand like you are totally okay to be having anxiety and like, don't push it away because you need to, you need to experience it. And we need to figure out how to deal with it. Cause if you're pushing it away, it's going to come back and it may come back worse. But yeah, it changed my perspective a lot in terms of when I experienced it myself. And even now, like physically talking to you about it, like I can feel it in my body. I remember yeah. what it's like. Yeah, same. So when I see when I see someone, I say I see a patient and I see them going down that road, I tend to just sit a little longer. And a lot of the times there's not a lot of conversation. I'm just there. There's like physical presence. And that really, that really can help them, I've noticed. But definitely makes me a little bit more attuned to certain things that are said, because I remember saying those things. Yeah. And you've mentioned several times your holistic approach to care, which is something we're all about here. You have also pursued a career as a life coach along with, alongside your career as a physician. What prompted that decision? How does that influence your work with your moms? Yeah. So I think kind of what prompted me to go to, to into life coaching was my own struggles. So I was having a lot of difficult with judging myself, shame, guilt, feelings, like the anxiety was like, I can't, I cannot be a good mom, a good wife, a good partner, a good doctor. Like, how am I going to do this? Where is the balance? And so, you know, you're, you're through different Facebook groups and you're talking to different people. And I was exploring like different options. Like, do I, do I go into therapy, which I'm a huge proponent of therapy, you know? And then I, I think I realized that there was a, that there was some work I needed to do on myself. And so I looked into different programs and I wanted something that was going to be very organic and very natural and not like you must follow this path. You know what I mean? Like there's some, some coaching programs that are like, this is our method. This is how it works. I was looking for something that was more like, Hey, like, how do I bring out the, the best version of Radica and live it every day? Not just like, you know, yes, we're all going to have good days and bad days, but like, how do I set myself up for success so I can curate and emulate that joy in my everyday life? And so I decided to go to the Martha Beck Wayfinder uh, Life Coach Training Program. Best decision. Martha Beck, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Martha Beck, but she was Oprah's life coach, which was like crazy to me. And she actually trained a bunch of the coaches who are doing big programs now. But the cool thing with Martha is her program is really about getting in touch with that essential self and listening to our bodies. And, you know, we talk about our mind being the most powerful tool. She really talks about like, actually, you want to listen to that body because those body responses are actually emanating what that essential self is wanting or, you know, how that fits kind of with you. And so when I did life coaching, I had no intention of like doing anything, but doing it for myself. But then I realized how powerful it was. And, you know, I met with some friends and they were like, tell me about it. Like, let's talk. And, um, you know, they were like, Hey, let's do some sessions together. And I did some, and they were like, like, you could help a lot of people from more than just a medical standpoint. And I decided like, okay, yeah. Like 
I don't want to, you know, some people, when they start doing life coaching or starting start a business for life coaching, they may walk away from medicine. Like I have no intention from walking away from medicine. I absolutely love taking care of women. I love all of that. But this was more kind of another feather in my cap where I could step away from the, okay, you know, your pap smear, breast exam, breast issues, obstetrics, and be like, let's talk about how we help you create balance in the chaos of your life so you can be more joyful, more present, and living the life you want to live, not the life you think you should be living or based on expectations or you know, preconceived notions, anything like that. Right, right. We talk a lot to our community and we've had some other experts that have discussed this as well, that there's a difference between life balance and life integration. Mm-hmm. what do these two terms mean to you? And do you feel there's a difference between them? I think that when you look at like life integration, I think that that's what I feel like we want to strive, well, I want to strive towards. And even with my clients, that's what I think we strive towards. And to me, life integration means feeling like life is a continuum rather than I go to work, I come home, I take, you know, I have my life with my kids, I have, and then I have my kids, my life with my spouse, like, it's an integrative continuum, rather than being separate pieces. And as much as we, you know, historically, we've talked about leaving work at work, why, like, if you love what you do, and you can live that every day, then you do want to bring that home, because that's a positive experience. And even if you do have a negative experience, how do you digest that experience? So you don't lose sight of that, you know, that joy that you're trying to find or that relationship with your family. So I do think that there's a little bit of a difference between life balance and life integration. Life integration, I think, is actually that balance that you can create allows you to have life integration, which to me would be an ultimate goal, would be the goal. And I talk a lot about with my clients, like finding like, what are the shoulds and the have tos in your life? Like, are those really necessary. You know, we, we often create lists of like negotiables and non-negotiables, and that's not based on anyone's expectation, but their own. And then realizing, okay, what is truly a non-negotiable? Like, does my daughter being in karate, is that a non-negotiable for me? Okay. But you know what? Maybe she doesn't also have to be in dance, swimming, piano lessons, and pottery, or, you know, and it's not that you're saying like, I can't have it all. It's what do I really want? And what am I doing? Because I think this is what I want. And if, when we let the things that are negotiables fall away, do those non-negotiables help us create life balance, which in essence will give us life integration. Okay. So uh, you talk to a lot of women. I mean, that's your job. You are amazing at just communicating with women and hearing their struggles. What, what are the most common struggles that you hear from your clients? And you've just talked a little bit about the, I guess you could say prioritization of what you do in your day. Uh, Can you provide some actionable steps that moms can take to decipher what their essential self or their insides are telling them to do from the other emotions that we had talked about, like fear, anger, helplessness that mask those talking of our, the hearing our inside. Yeah. I think one of the biggest struggles as a mom is like that time piece, right? And 
before you even try to like make a change, one of the most actionable steps that I tell women to take, which is actually really challenging, is like picking up a journal of any sort and doing a time audit for like three days and see where your time is being used. Because sometimes when we write down and physically see, whether it be on a computer or in a journal, where you're putting that time, it allows us to recognize where we might be able to take some of that time back to ourselves. And so sometimes, like we may not realizing it, guess what, I just scrolled for 30 minutes on Facebook today, or is that how you wanted to spend your 30 minutes? Or would you have wanted to maybe take some time for yourself and take a walk, take a bath, read a book, you know, so things like, so really figuring out, and I usually suggest you do that over three days and then deciding if when you write it down over three days, is that how you feel like you want to be spending your time? And if the answer is yes, then okay, we need to go to a different step. But if the answer is, look, there's actually 20 or 30 minutes that I'd like to change what I'm doing, then you get to choose that. That's not my choice. Nobody else is telling you to do that. You get to choose what you get to do with that time. But when you can physically see that there's time, there's something in our neural pathways that are like, actually, I do have time. And there is neuroplasticity that has shown like being able to physically see it, you can change that wiring to be like, oh my gosh, I have no time, right? Usually after I've done a time audit with people, I talk about what the internal voice is saying. So finding some time in your day, and, and I believe this is more of like meditative. I don't think you necessarily have to clear your mind. I think you have to open your mind and really see what your mind is saying to you. So whether it be, do you keep your own mental log? Do you, I'm a huge writer. So I often will say to my clients, what feels good to you? Does it feel good to type on your computer? Does it feel good to write in a book? Write down what those thoughts in your mind are put them on paper. And then we get to look at them and say, how are these thoughts serving you? Are these thoughts you want to be having? Where do you think these thoughts have come from? And often you can almost like, it's really cool. Like you can see like almost three categories. The, you know, these are ideas that I really do feel like are serving me. And this is why these are ideas that aren't serving me. And this is where they've come from. And these are kind of in between, but now you've now taken control of your mind and you've taken control to say, I'm going to control how these thoughts are going to be affecting me every day. And another thing I usually suggest is like, you know, people will be like, yeah, find movement. And I'm a huge, like I'm an exercise junkie. So like I need to get my exercise in, but that's my non-negotiable, right? Find your non-negotiable and that, and find time for yourself. Whatever you do, I don't care if you have to sit in a closet for 10 minutes and that's time for yourself. And that makes you feel good. That's good. That's good. Is it 10 minutes walking in your yard and watering your plants? Does that make you happy? Um, is it talking to your mom or your best friend on the phone? Finding that time and making it a non-negotiable. Because even if it's a finite amount of time, you've now shown and prioritized yourself. Because if you don't prioritize yourself, your littles are watching, right? They're not going to prioritize their self. They don't know what self-care and self-love is if you're not giving it to yourself. You know, I did a time audit it must've been like two years ago now. And it was 
eye-opening. It, it was very, very eye-opening. And you mentioned several times the neuroplasticity and the need to write it down. And I wholeheartedly agree with that because I've done it other times where I'm just like, oh, pay attention and like observe where I'm spending my time and what I'm doing. But when you actually take the action of writing down every 15 or 30 minutes, what you're doing, it's a pain in the butt. But exactly. when you yeah. do it and you look at it, it truly does just blow your mind where you are wasting your time or how much time you're just putting into things that aren't really a priority for you. And it can um, be a repetitive thing. Like sometimes you get really good at it. And then there's like, we, especially with um, Wayfinder training, we talk about like a catalytic event, like a catalytic event can happen. It can either be expected or unexpected, like a big move or a change in a job or going on a vacation or a new baby or a new relationship. And you have to do them repetitively, right? Because those feelings of anxiety and overwhelm, they come back. They don't just go away, right? Like, I don't know. I don't personally know anyone who just lives at a status of like complete, like no anxiety. Mm -hmm. I don't know any moms who are like that because life is constantly changing. So it's a matter of how do we equip ourselves with tools where we can feel and see the success rather than like, oh, I, I can't do this. It's never going to, I'm not going to get out of this. So I talk a lot about with my clients, like getting unstuck from the quicksand of life. And, and I really think that coaching and the tools that coaching has provided me have allowed me to empower my clients to be like, guess what? Like I can do, I just, just had a coaching call with one of my clients yesterday. And I just, I couldn't sleep after. Cause I was so excited because she, I felt like we had been running at this, like we're stuck, we're stuck, we're stuck. And like eight weeks later, she's like, I am feeling so clear and so in control. And I was like, you did that. Not me. You did that. That's amazing. It's funny how you can, you can just be in a rut and you have the blinders on and you can't see anything else. And then there's just this magical moment where it just fades away and everything does become crystal clear. And when that moment happens, it is magical. It, it truly is. is. Magic. It truly, yeah. I completely yeah. There are a lot of statistics confirming that maternal outcomes in the United States are often ranked last compared to other developed nations and that there's a serious flaw in our healthcare system where there's a gap in care for mothers. While some women are fortunate enough to receive extensive care during pregnancy, many are not. Regardless of prenatal support, care for mothers often comes to a screeching halt once the child is born. This is the exact period of life when most women might face their biggest health and life challenges. Many women don't know what's normal, for their body, for their child, for parenting. And they don't know what's a cause for concern, where, where that anxiety might be coming in. If a woman is to receive health services in the postpartum period, she, Cindy and I, this is a big catalyst for launching her health collective for us. We both felt this need to research, self-diagnose, seek out care on our own and kind of cobble together our own healthcare team, as opposed to it kind of coming to us. We, we felt the, that it was on us to figure it all out. As an OBGYN and a mom, do you agree that our healthcare system is failing to support mothers and that we need to make changes? Wholeheartedly, yes. It makes me really sad. Like I'm going to do my best to like not get choked up because I get choked up about this all the time. It makes me really sad to see the lack 
of support that we have provided for our moms and our dads and our families. I, you know, I grew up in Canada where like, it's a one-year maternity leave guys. And now, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, it has to be a year. We have to do better. We don't separate puppies from their moms for 10 weeks, but we will see, we will pay women for six to eight weeks at a smaller salary. And then they have to come back. I mean, I think about myself, I was Canadian or I am Canadian. I had some immigration struggles as a physician. I was back in the office four days after my first baby. Am I proud of it? No, not. Would I let, like, I am a huge advocate. I had a woman ask me, you know, I do some telemedicine too. And she was having really difficult, like real difficulty with breastfeeding and current mastitis because of oversupply and her family practice doctors saying, well, you, know, you just got to pump more. Maybe you, you won't be able to feed, you know, the lactation consultant thinks that you're ha- you know, your breasts are just not conducive to breastfeeding. Like, no. So she says to me, I, I, do you think that this would be a good reason to not ha- be able to go back to work right away? And I'm like, yeah, you can't feed your baby. Like, how is this even a question, you know? So yeah, I mean, I think there are so many ways in which we aren't succeeding as a healthcare system or supporting the moms. I, or, um, earlier this year, I think it was the beginning of May, me and six different uh, women's health physicians got together and we did a maternal mental health summit around maternal mental health awareness. And what kept coming up is like, there isn't enough support. There could be, you know, and, and we talk about physicians being like, well, she's already taking, she's already doing a coaching program. She, there is not enough coaching programs in the world right now for the amount of help that's needed, not only in our country, but globally. And the support as in normalizing the fact that postpartum anxiety and depression happens far more frequently than we see making sure we have resources available like you know what it is not easy to lug your one week two week four week six week old into the office for a postpartum depression consultation like you just want to do it at home you just want to be like you barely want to get out of the house right now and when you're ready to rip your hair out where you're having such bad anxiety that you can't stop crying or shaking, you don't really want to be in public doing that. So, you know, I know that we're trying to make strides with the fourth trimester and I understand like we're trying to see patients more often, but I think like time with their baby after, you know, normalizing the support that women need and going back to almost more of like my roots where like the mom like doesn't leave the baby for like the first 30 days. Like, they don't leave the house. I'm not saying you shouldn't leave the house, but like they don't leave the house for 30 days and the entire community. And I know it's not just my culture. There's many cultures where like the entire community comes around that mother to help feed that family and help clean and help laundry. And, you know, not like, Hey, let me just hold your baby because you know, that's going to make you feel better because it gives you 10 minutes to yourself. Like we don't even get enough time to bond with our babies before we're like forced back into work or forced back into societal expectations. So yeah, I I do feel like there needs to be a big change. Through Her Health Collective, we've narrowed down our advocacy focus to four initiatives that directly affect mothers. They include equality of maternal care, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, expectations of motherhood, and rejecting diet culture. 
we've talked a little bit about how you were directly affected by a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Uh, will you discuss a little bit about how your work with your coaching business, Busy OBs, and your women's health practice as an OBGYN, how you support moms in these different areas? Yeah. So again, I, I really am passionate about having women understand that like I'm an OBGYN and I go, I went through it. So you just have to be a human being and you can experience postpartum anxiety and depression. And so I think I, I really try to mesh that with expectations of motherhood because there is so much in, you know, in social media, there's a lot of stuff that's out there. That's like, Hey, look, like this is normal, but there's a lot of stuff. Like I bounced back and I was out in my hot mom bod fit mom, which is good. Like I, I want the people to be happy, but I also want people to realize like at 10 days postpartum, if you can barely walk or sit on a toilet, like that's okay. And I'm just a really big advocate of being like, no, you know, the statements of it's going to get better. And, oh, really enjoy this time because this, you won't get this time back. Like, yeah. Okay. Sure. That's true. But a new mom doesn't need to hear that. A new mom needs to hear like, it sucked for me. It was really crappy. What can I do for you? Like, can I just come and like fold your laundry? So I really, I really work with women to be like, find that balance around and, and find those individuals whether it be online or whether it be different groups like her health, or if you have some mom groups in the community, like find people who will rally around you sometimes. And I, I say this very cautiously, like sometimes family is not the best because they come with their own expectations of the way you should parent. And well, I was like this. So why aren't you like this? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so hard for me. So why is it so hard for you? Like your experience doesn't have to mirror what your mom's or your grandmother's or your mother-in-law's experience was. Your experience is going to be your experience. Your expectations of yourself are just that. They are your expectations. So with busy OBs, I work in the aspect of women who, you know, from all spectrums, it doesn't matter what age your child is, but it's really that professional woman what and when I say professional I mean like it can be a stay-at-home mom I don't care like we're all we are professionals at our own job or career whatever it is saying stay-at-home mom is just as hard of a professional job as anything else but I help these women say let's get your expectations in line with what you want inside and is that reflective of what you want and is that a reflective of how you would like to parent and how does that make you feel? And so we really focus on, you know, in my practice, I will do lots of like anxiety and depression. We'll talk about behavioral therapy. We'll talk about, you know, the medical side of it, but busy obese focuses on finding what's inside of you, bringing it out and you curating the life that you want without hesitation and without fear of judgment, shame, or guilt from anybody. So really being empowered to be like, guess what? I decided I'm not going to be full-time anymore. I'm going to be part-time. And everybody in the background might be being like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You shouldn't be doing it. doesn't matter. What is your expectation of yourself? And what do you want for yourself? And 
we used lots of different tools to organically bring that to the surface and allow you to succeed in the way you want. It's amazing that you are this voice for moms. Every patient is very lucky to have you. It, it's clear in your, your passion and your compassion that you, you show for moms. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much. Our final question that we like to wrap up with is what message do you think every mom should hear? You do not have to be perfect. You do not have to meet anyone's expectations and your path is curated and navigated by you and your family. That's it. I think your path is really curated by you and your family. What's best for you and your family. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharma. Such an important message to leave off with. It was a joy to speak with you today. Thank you guys so much. I, I loved it. It was so, you guys were so easy to talk to. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Thanks so much. Awesome. I love today's conversation. Dr. Sharma had some great insights and I enjoyed hearing more about her experience in motherhood and integrating that part of her life with being a busy doctor, as well as some of the ways life coaching has changed her approach to life. Here are our top three takeaways from today's conversation with Dr. Radhika Sharma. One, at this point, most of our listeners know of my personal experience with postpartum anxiety. I loved being able to have this conversation with Dr. Sharma. It is so helpful and important to know that postpartum mood and anxiety disorders can happen to anyone. I also found it valuable to know how much Dr. Sharma's personal experience with BPA impacted her understanding of and ability to help her patients. I think it's important to know that for many new mothers visiting with their doctor in that postpartum period, many doctors may not have that firsthand experience with postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. And that can change how a doctor understands and treats new mothers, which can ultimately have a big impact on the new mother's overall experience and ability to get the help she needs and deserves. It is worth it for expecting parents to seek out resources on the front end to speak to their doctor about the possibility of things like postpartum anxiety and depression before they even make it to the delivery room. And to really try to get a feel for how their provider will approach a perinatal mood disorder. Two, Dr. Sharma talked about life integration, feeling like it's on a continuum. Rather than going to work, raising kids, marital life, all being separate pieces, she sees it as more of an integrative continuum. She mentions that historically we push the idea of leaving work at work, but, and I love this point. She says, if you love what you do and you can live that every day, then you do want to bring that home with you because that's a positive experience. And that's such a valuable point. And of course, nobody loves everything about what they do, but if there is a part of your work or your volunteering commitments or your room helper duties at your child's school that you truly enjoy, then we should not feel guilt about bringing that home on occasion. And perhaps you do have a negative experience with work or some other regular commitment you have. Then the question becomes, how do you digest that experience so you don't lose sight of that joy that you're trying to find, particularly in relationship with your family. Dr. Sharma suggests finding the shoulds and the have tos 
in your life and asking if those are really necessary. It's not that you're saying, I can't have it all. Rather, it's asking, what do I really want? And what am I doing? One of the tools Dr. Sharma mentions is a time audit. And this is when you track everything you do every 15 or 30 minutes over the course of three days. And you actually have to write it down. Every 30 minutes, you have to write down what you're doing. Doing that audit can provide such a wealth of knowledge as to where you are wasting chunks of time in your day. And then you have the opportunity to decide what it is you would rather focus your time and energy on. I have done a time audit and it was such a valuable endeavor. I highly suggest everyone give it a try. Three, this was such a quick comment made during this conversation, but it really resonated with me. Dr. Sharman discusses the importance of getting in touch with our essential self and even more importantly, learning to listen to our bodies. She mentions how we are often taught that our mind is our most powerful tool. But that in actuality, learning to listen to our body can open up whole worlds of understanding into what is happening within us. Those body responses are actually emanating what your essential self is wanting. I've recently begun seeing a new therapist and she focuses a lot on the physical body and how different emotions and past traumas manifest and show up in our body. Building that awareness has been huge in helping me practice more self-compassion and learning what patterns keep coming up for me again and again. When we learn to listen to our body, what our breathing pattern is doing, um, where we feel the knot of tension, how our heartbeat changes in a certain moment, those things give us incredible insights into our deepest self and give us an opportunity to start to calm down emotions like anxiety and anger. It was such a treat to have you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again very soon. Bye-bye, friends. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you. Thank you.